I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And this is Hawk Talk, where we talk hawks. Sort of. Uh, standard disclaimer applies. This is not a standard episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men in the least. Normally we, you know, explain the X-Men, but this is one of our skip weeks. Uh, so instead we just talk about a bunch of random stuff and don't edit it at all. That's right. So if you are here for way more ums than the rest of the month put together, you've come to the right place. Indeed, you um have. Also Hawks. Also Hawks, yes. So, in past Hawk Talks, we've talked about a number of topics, uh, not usually actually Hawks. Mostly we've talked about different types of media, you know, like the movies we grew up on, or the video games we grew up on, or, or whatever. Right, and we've mostly sorted those by the specific media we're talking about. But A, we're kind of uh, out of major genres of media, uh, and B, we wanted to mix it up a little because, you know, change is fun. And um, so I think roughly an hour before we started recording this, Jay, you had a kind of cool idea for a topic. Right. So this is our first October Hawk Talk, and we figured in the spirit of the month, we should probably go autumnal and 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 go with, you know, the general general category of spoopiness, or at least spookiness. I, I've I've come to just like really embrace spoopy as as the adjective that encompasses not only the actually, you know, spooky stuff, but the the sort of cute spookiness and the sort of generally autumnal Halloween adjacent spirit. Where did that word come from? Was that just like a typo on something? It or? was a typo on a product that was sold in some major chain. Okay, that's even better. Oh, that reminds me. This is unrelated to anything at all. Um, so one of Anna's clients just got her a very long, like, uh, costume quality cigarette holder based on a weird conversation they'd been having. Excellent. And and it's descri- it describes itself as a, a beatnik cigarette holder, and beatnik is spelled C-K, and the beatniks that it shows in the illustration are some very square-looking 1950s guy in a suit and a hat saying, it's cool, man, and a uh, a woman in like a fancy dress and pearls saying, it's a way out, like A-W-A-Y, and I think the people who made this product may have been very confused in a number of different directions. This feels like someone writing teenagers these days, except it's teenagers in those days, and it's being written by someone who was never actually a teenager. I feel like Stan Lee is probably somehow responsible for this. Seems likely. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about Stan Lee's beatnik cigarette holders, I guess. We're here to talk about... Can we call it Hawktober? It's Hawk Talk. It's, we're talking we about... We can. Hawk-tober. I thought you were going to say we're here to talk about Over the Garden Wall, because in all fairness, that's probably what we're going to spend most of this episode on. I mean, probably yes. But yeah, that said, we'll talk about some media, including Over the Garden Wall, and some kind of fall activities, including watching the Over the Garden Wall, and some Halloween rituals and costumes, like that time I dressed up as a character from Over the Garden Wall. Okay, yeah, you're right. There's probably going to be a lot of that. That's what I'm expecting. But um, go, starting with General Autumn, things are it's really pretty here. One of the things that's really amazing about living in and adjacent to New England, I'm still mostly in Connecticut right now is that it's what I think of as greeting card country. Like, the seasons here are the seasons that I saw growing up in, like, pictures on greeting cards and magazines, but not in real life, that I assumed was just an idealized landscape. And it turned out that, no, it's just actually New England. Okay, so it's like Norman Rockwell, but not the people parts, just the nature parts. No, it's literally Norman Rockwell country. He lives like here, he lived like three hours from here. And the Norman Rockwell Museum, by the way, if you are within a reasonable distance from it, it's somewhere in Massachusetts. It's really interesting, and it's a really, really cool place to check out. Okay, I, I make it to the East Coast so seldom, uh, especially lately, but um, that does sound rad as hell. 
Yeah, so that, that is one of my general autumn recommendations. But it's the leaves are changing here. It's really, really, really gorgeous. And things things have like they've just gotten to the point where they're falling and there are crunchy leaves under the foot with which the chickens are really interested in. I would imagine. The chickens seem like they're interested in a lot of things. They are. They are. They're very they're very generally interested in the world around them. I appreciate that. Yeah, I am I'm never gonna get over actual seasons. Cause, you know, okay, I know I mean you weren't born in Florida, but we both pretty much grew up in Florida. And Florida doesn't have those traditional seasons. Like yeah. Florida essentially has summer and slightly less summer as the options. And so I remember when we first went to college in Western North Carolina, like we went there, you know, in the fall because fall semester and holy shit, there were all these leaves and they were falling off trees and they were different colors. And I mean, this sounds so basic probably to a lot of people listening to this episode, but that was revelatory for me, almost as revelatory as the fact that there were people under 65 that existed in that town. Well, the thing too, is that you, you skipped from South Florida to the place that does autumn better than anywhere else on earth. I mean, nothing, nothing touches the Blue Ridge Mountains, even, even what I'm describing, like it's pretty and it's, it's pretty in a, oh, this is, this is like the thing I saw in movies or the, you know, knew about in theory, but it's, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing does it like Asheville. Yeah, I, I miss that place. I really want to go back. I mean, and at this point, in large part, just for the seasons. For me, it's not even the novelty so much. So I lived in Indiana until I was about to turn seven and then moved to South Florida and lived there um, until college. And because of that, I think speci specifically because of the age I was when I moved there, autumn sits at a precise intersection of novelty and nostalgia for me. That that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And honestly, I feel like I feel like nostalgia is a concept that autumn does well. Like I was thinking about what autumn means, especially. Um, so I like marking the solstices and the equinoxes. It's just a fun little secular way of doing yeah. ritual. And this past autumnal equinox. Um, I was looking at kind of what different people did, and there's a whole lot of pagan stuff, and that's cool, but that's not really my my thing. Um, but I did find a cool description when reading up on uh, Mabin, Mabin? Jay, do, you know, do you know how to say that? I don't know how to say that. I don't know what you're trying to say spelled out. M-A-B-O-N. Um, anyway, it's like a, a pagan celebration of, of the equinox. But uh, one of the descriptions that I, I read about it was that it was to give thanks for the past summer and to pay tribute to the coming darkness, which sounds metal as hell for starts. But I think that that sense of kind of bittersweet nostalgia of, of letting go of these experiences that you've had and preparing to tone things down, like that's a lot of what autumn can be. I mean, you were, you were talking about things that feel appropriate to the, the autumnal equinox specifically, which is a bit past now. And the thing that I just came that jumped to mind immediately is the first Adventures of Pete and Pete Summer Special. Uh, yeah, exactly. That was one of the things I wrote yeah. down on my little like list of things to to bring up for this episode. The Adventures of Pete and Pete, it, it's weird because it's set through all four seasons over the course of the show, but there are so many parts of it that just feel like autumn, and especially that one. Yeah, I think actually my, my entire essay, or at least a fair chunk of it in the zine that we did about the Adventures of Pete and Pete is about how it feels like it always feels like it's autumn in it, even when it's not. Yeah, well, I mean, the zine was named after one of the songs from the soundtrack, Waiting for October, like, right. very much that. And I don't know, I mean, that feels especially the case this year. Like, we've had a summer that was, it was fucking weird. Like, yeah. 
everyone, everything was very locked down. It still is, of course. And there was just this level of, of isolation and anxiety and depression that also are all still present. But for me, I'm a summer guy, like summer's my season. And it kind of felt like we didn't get one. And so therefore it feels doubly important to kind of just look back and acknowledge what was there as we go into autumn. I don't know if that makes sense. It, it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, I am and always have been an autumn person. I am I am an autumn autumn to early winter person, very, very much. Um, and some of that is because my birthday is in the middle of October. But I think more of it, and more of what's feeling good about autumn for me this year, is that summer felt both very short and endless. Like there was no real sense of time passing around us. There was just sort of this odd hovering stasis. Mm. And autumn, even if even if none of the none of the none of the social stuff that was causing that in summer has fundamentally changed, in autumn there are there there's much, much more daily visual intactal even sense of the passing of time like the temperature is changing daily the i can go outside and and what i see when i look up is totally different than it was yesterday that's a really good point yeah just having some kind of a sense of change is it's necessary like so much of what's been hard this year has been yeah has been that stasis as you described it and so being able to go outside and it being a little cooler, it being a little red and browner in the trees, uh, it raining more and more if you're in Portland, <laughs> certainly. Um, that's kind of nice. And also like switching uniforms. I mean, as much as I do enjoy the uh, the shorts and t-shirt weather, like I'm a flannel shirt and boots kind of guy. I The 90s aesthetic is my aesthetic and the 90s aesthetic is a fall aesthetic and a Pacific Northwest aesthetic now that I think about it. I guess that's kind of where the grunge look came from. Yeah, um, to to be fundamental on Model J, I require at least three layers, so there's that. I am, again, still sort of st stuck in Connecticut, and one of the things I'm really look looking forward to is going back home for a chunk of October for a lot of reasons, but one of them is is actually getting non-summer clothes, because right now the stuff that I have here, I'm just sort of layering and layering and layering summer stuff, plus there's a field jacket um, that I'm just wearing over things when I go to let the chickens out at 8 in the morning. And really, once you're wearing more than four or five Hawaiian shirts on top of one another, the clashing does get pretty intense. Well, they start fighting, and then when you've got another layer over them, it just gets really uncomfortable. Oh, it's like uh, ferret legging, I think. Is that the thing where you put ferrets in your pants and see how I long you can I think it's them? called ferret pantsing, but I would not be surprised if it had more than one name. Yeah, that's an entire thing. I just read an article about that uh, at EV Club. They um they have this series where they look at random Wikipedia pages and talk about them, and that was that was the one they just did recently. Ah, oh, that's delightful. My favorite Wikipedia page is the list of fictional badgers. Of course, that exists. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just I'm just glad it's there. You know, right? No, it's a comfort. It's a it's a keystone. It's it's a nice solid foundation in these dark times. So another autumnal thing that I have I have come to to await every year with with exuberance is fat bear week i just learned about that and it wasn't what i thought it was it was much more literal than what i thought it was but that's still great no once i got a very very angry response to a tweet about it on the drunk mark trail account um about gendered beauty standards and or the, the response was about that the tweet was not and and especially gendered beauty standards within the queer and celebrate celebration within the queer community and 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 I just I just I, I didn't answer, but I it was so great because like no no this is this is not about this they are actual bears 
Right. They're so, bears that are preparing to hibernate, right? Right. So there's a national park in, in Alaska, I think it's Kamandi National Park, that every year does Fat Bear Week, where it it just take it, it documents all of the bears that are getting enormously fat as they're preparing to hibernate. And it's yeah. great. It's so deeply wholesome and wonderful and ridiculous. I also just really have to respect a furry creature that's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat as much as I possibly can and then just fall the hell over. Like, that doesn't sound so bad. No, no, we should all be so lucky. I know, right? Uh, as it is, as, as I've gotten older, I, I have trouble sleeping in, so I don't know if I'd be uh, very good at hibernating. I think the trick is is stuffing yourself silly for about six months and also being an actual bear. The first sounds easier than the second. So, okay, we alluded to it. I mean, let's just go ahead and talk about Over the Garden Wall. Uh, Jay, for people who are not familiar with it, how would you describe Over the Garden Wall? Hmm. A spookily whimsical jaunt through the season, the strange, and the bittersweetness of growing up. That's a good way of putting it. And I, I would write ad copy sometimes. <laughs> and you just did for Over the Garden Wall. Uh, I, I would also add that it's a love letter to the history of animation, because each episode yeah. oh, really yeah. focuses on like one era of animation, um, while still being very much a cohesive whole. Yeah, it's just, um, I think it's what, 10 10-minute 10 episodes or 12 10-minute episodes or something? Yeah, 12 or 13. It's very, very short. You can watch it in a sitting and not have spent much more time than you would on a longish movie. Yeah, but it's about these two brothers who get lost in like in, in, in the woods, but the woods are kind of not real exactly, or maybe they are. They're uh it's hard to describe, but it's it's episodic, it's delightful, it's really funny, it's surprisingly emotional, especially as it progresses. And it is fall. It is autumn, straight up. That has become a ritual for for me at least to watch that likewise. almost every year. Yeah. yeah likewise. Mm -hmm. So do you have do you have any other other ritual fall movies? I know a lot of people do do like horror movie marathons this time of year. You know, I, I enjoy horror movies, but for me, fall is about comfort a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um, so for for whatever reason, for me, it's uh, video games. I just I have this whole series of games I would play in October, not ones I would like play repeatedly, but just ones I wanted to check out. Now that's extended into September, like. Uh, this year, we've done the re-release of Medieval, the old PlayStation game. We did the Resident Evil 3 remake, the Ghostbusters video game remastered one, the final expansion to Control. Uh, we're going to be starting Soma soon, which I'm very excited about. There's just something about like sitting on a couch with, in my case, my fiance, or honestly, like whoever, and playing through spooky stuff together, sharing that experience that feels both very homey, but also very spooky in a way that combines well. Ooh, I think medieval is a really good example of spoopy as a general genre aesthetic. It is, yeah, because it's um, it is spooky, but it's so cartoony. It's like if the Nightmare Before Christmas was a medieval fantasy video game. I, I guess. No, it's really not. It oh, is okay. absolutely not like that. <laughs> well, I, I guess I just mean as far, as far as some of the character design, but yeah, it's. It's really silly, and it's also genuinely a little bit spooky and creepy and just full of, you know, skeletons and demons and monsters and little severed hands that crawl around like thing from the Adams family. And you, your main character can't really talk right because he's a skeleton and so is, and, and, and his jaw fell off because there was nothing holding it on. And it's, yeah, it, it is 
It is spoopy. You are correct. <laughs> the games that I always associate with Halloween, just or with horror, just because we used to do those playthroughs over fall break specifically, um, mm-hmm. are the Silent Hill games, and especially Silent Hill 2. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is... Silent Hill is such a phenomenal, flawed, yes, but phenomenal video game series. Also, there were a couple movies. The first one was was okay, and the second one was was not. Um, but yeah, they're um, they're horror done right. Like they're genuinely scary, but they're also incredibly engaging. And most of them are the right length. Where if you want to, and if you're in your twenties and are thus better at doing such things, you could stay up really late and finish one of the games in one sitting. You start it around sundown, you finish it around sunrise, and the exhaustion that comes with that. And having like you know lots and lots of people around and lots of soda and sugar like you're a freaking ten year old like it makes it really intense and sharing the experience makes it both not less scary but it makes the scariness less of an issue and uh, just more enjoyable in general and God I don't even know how many of those we did Jay like how many playthroughs I mean probably dozens a lot a whole lot yeah I have I have no idea what the count is there. I don't tend to be a, I I don't know if I'm really a horror person because I'm very, very, very picky about horror. I like spooky horror. I like dread-based horror. Um, I really hate jump scares, like to the point that they ruin movies for me. And so, so that, that limits the horror that I go through. But on the other hand, it means that the horror I love, I'm really, really, I really love. And I mean, some of, some of the horror stuff that's technically horror that I love really falls sort of across, ca- across categories, across genres. Like uh, Ginger Snaps is a pretty good example. It's one of my favorite, favorite horror movies. Oh, Ginger Snaps is great. That's one of those movies I'm always surprised isn't talked about more in like the central canon of horror. It's absolutely brilliant the first and third ginger snaps movies are terrific the second one is iffy but um yeah that's and that actually also segues into another autumnal thing which is that it's it's also i want the context of i think one of the one of my favorite halloween costumes that i've ever 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 done um when tina and i just dressed up as ginger and bridget you know i was actually going through um my photos app trying to remember what i dressed up as for halloween and i stumbled upon that photo shoot the two of you did um that was based on the photo shoot from the movie you two did a great job, like so much detail. The Life and Bailey Downs photos, yeah, that was really fun. That was like that was an entire day, and we completely wrecked the bathroom. Um, well, maybe we should like talk about what Ginger Snaps is because it's not right, the most so well known. Ginger Snaps is is a Canadian movie. It's it's um, I believe either produced or directed by someone who's been very involved in or- Orphan Black, and in fact, uh, Tatiana Maslany makes one of her first movie appearances in in the third movie, but. It's brilliant. It's about two sisters. It's about um, werewolves and high school and gender dynamics. I'm not going to spoil anything much further, um, but the two main characters are a pair of sisters who are incredibly, incredibly close and who are are sort of the weirdos of their suburban Canadian high school. And it starts with a montage of the two of them elaborately faking suicides and and videotaping and photographing them for a project for a class where they're supposed to make the video about life in Bailey Downs, which is where they live. Mm-hmm. And um and 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 Tina, who is very much the the ginger to my Bridget in high school, and I dressed up as the characters, but we also spent a whole day 
reproducing as much of the photo shoot as possible. So we said we have those pictures and I'll, I'll see if we can find a link to, to stick with up with, with this Hawk talk with the usual, you know, heavy content warnings that they're pictures of elaborately faked suicides. I still remember when we were taking those pictures out in a park and people would pass by and just be like, ah, and then I guess they would assume, okay, I think this is okay. And they would keep going. The ones in the park were just us lying in the grass though. That wasn't, that wasn't, that, those weren't like the really gory ones. We still got some looks. I'm just saying. It's Portland. Yeah, that's true. Forget it, Jake. It's Portland. Uh, man, Halloween costumes. Okay, let's talk Halloween. Like, I I am kind of a Halloween person. I think you are more of a Halloween person than I am. I am very much a Halloween person. Yeah. Um, and my fiance Anna, is also very much a Halloween person. Um, it's, you know, I will say, living in Portland, Portland is a good city for Halloween. Because it Portland... Is- oh, yeah nobody grows up in portland we're all just like kids who ideally hold down jobs and um yeah that there's so many costume parties well okay not this year to be fair so i hard disagree with that i think that portland is actually a place where part of the socially prevalent definition of adulthood includes still having fun and doing weird shit that is more accurate yeah i was i was being pithier about it but you're that's totally more accurate because part of why these parties end up being awesome is that it's a bunch of adults with you know adult resources and attention spans and and like houses and things there is that yes and sometimes it's adult bad decisions at some of those parties some of those Uh, parties yeah there i mean there's and it's it's also got you know a huge creative community which i think lends itself to to that to halloween stuff happening a lot absolutely yeah and so honestly i'll say i probably have had more fun with halloween as an adult than i did as a child like it was cool as a child don't get me wrong but it just becomes so much more elaborate when, like you said, when you do have those resources and that attention span and when you can like be in charge instead of just your parents taking you out for one night or whatever. Oh, childhood wise, I trick-or-treated with the same two people from second through 12th grade. Like we trick-or-treated all through high school and we, it was just an, this annual ritual. So that was, that was a big, a big part of Halloween for me. But it was also when I was, when I was a kid, especially really, really, really closely tied in with my birthday. Like it felt like kind of an extension of it. Yeah. And yeah, so I was, I was, my birthday is October 13th, officially the spookiest day of the year, which is cool. It's also the birthday of Vincent Valentine, the sexy vampire man from Final Fantasy VII, by the way. Yeah, but unlike me, Vincent Valentine didn't turn 13 on a Friday the 13th, which was super cool. Okay, yeah, you got that up on Vincent. Yeah, I have, I have, I have serious spoop cred from that. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but anyway, the, yeah, so it was it was always kind of wrapped up in that, but it was it was it was neat and it was it was I just I I I loved it for all of its its sort of inversion fest characteristics and for the costuming stuff, but just because it was it was this one night that was the same every year. Mm-hmm. Um which actually brings me to a video game I want to talk about, but let's let's not get to that quite yet. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. I think you do. I'm really, I'm really excited about that. Uh, but as far as costumes from when you were a kid, I know I have a couple favorites that you've told me about that you wore. But what are what are your favorites from when you were a kid? None of none of the ones I wore as a kid were all that that great. Like I got into being really hardcore about costumes much much later. Oh, I just mean so uh, conceptually. Um. Oh well, when I was when I was two, I informed my parents that I wanted to be a consignatus and I would accept no substitutes. So that was a thing. I, I've seen pictures. You were a pretty cute consignathus. Con, consi- now I can't say the word. Consignathus. Um, when I was when I was seven, I think I was I was a live oak tree. <laughs> That's so specific. Again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. My. My. My parents are are 
a lot of the costumes are sort of sort of baffled parents who are not primarily, you know, costume people trying to figure out how to collaborate with their weird, weird kid. Um, so, so I have, I have a lot of very, very heartfelt, very bad Halloween costumes as a kid. And we were, we also had a very strict no store-bought costumes rule. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I don't know. My, my grandmother made me a lot of costumes. She made me a pretty excellent Ghostbusters costume when I was young. Right. I was super into the Ghostbusters right. for a while. I did have a store-bought Ninja Turtles costume that I wore, but what I remember mostly about that is that I was in the paper in that costume. The local paper was doing an article about the popular Halloween costumes that year. And so it was me and a girl dressed as Ariel from The Little Mermaid and some third person who I now don't remember at all. Um, but I was trying to look all badass in my store-bought Ninja Turtles costume. And I remember being so mad that when the article came out, it said that it came with pants but it really came with a shirt it's like dude reporter i told you exactly what this came from <laughs> you're not doing your job right and this was my one shot at glory i was in the goddamn newspaper as Raphael, even though i really wanted to be michelangelo but we couldn't find the costume and so yeah it was um it was it was really my my first sobering dose of the fallibility of adults Oh, buddy. <laughs> I also remember uh, a Halloween costume I did when I was a kid. I really wanted to be a black bat. I thought I would look awesome because it's like, uh -huh. yeah, I'll wear all black and I have jet black hair and I'll look all badass in this tight outfit. And what I learned is that actually my hair is dark brown. And so when you put it next to black, like it doesn't really match as much as I thought it would. Uh, and superhero physiques that look really good in spandex are not necessarily normal person physiques especially like 10 year old boy physiques and so i was a little embarrassed by that so again you know a, a sobering um removal of youthful idealism i still do i was it. an edward i was an edward gory bat once for halloween it was oh yeah i think i saw wait wait was that when we knew each other or before because i know i've seen that but I it might have been a picture when we knew each other it was it was like it was like a leotard and tights and i made big wings and i had this big ridiculous feathered mask that does sound really familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about favorite costumes as as a grown up? I mean, I remember the probably my favorite costume that we did together. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, uh, when we were Doctor Forrester and TV's Frank for Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. See, that's the, the problem with a lot of two person costumes is that there's often one who's the recognizable one. I guess that's true. Doctor Forrester is significantly more recognizable than TV's Frank. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun though. Um, oh gosh, let me think. Adulthood. I mean, the the year when I when I went fuck it. People have been asking me if I'm cosplaying this half the time anyway, and just went as Quentin Quire was awfully fun. You were an excellent Quentin Quire. I was. I made. I I felt so guilty about making a costume that was basically how I look and clothes I own that I decided I was going to make a psychic shotgun so that I was putting in reasonable amounts of effort, and I did. And it's awesome. It's so cool. I think um, Max has that now. Uh, yeah, it was like translucent blue, was it? So it started out as clear. I found out, I found a, um, an entirely like, not, not, not entirely transparent, but, but like frosted transparent airsoft gun. And I took out all of the moving parts and I took out all of the metal and because I took out all of the stuff that wasn't plastic and, um, used the space and I stuck blue glow sticks in it. And I also, um, also sponge painted a bunch of, a bunch of like blue and metallic stuff over the outside so that, that it basically literally just glowed blue. It was so rad. Yeah. It was very cool. Um, the costume that I, I'm always going to be proud of that no one recognized or appreciated was the year I was Courtney Crumrin. 
Oh yeah, the Ted Nafee comic. Yep. Yeah, no, you, you looked awesome. I remember specifically the little bat barrette thing. Yeah, that I had to make. Uh, although now I think um, I think Oni actually made and sold them for a while. Oh, that's awesome. But that was years later, and I was like, damn, yeah, that could have been around then. Yeah, listeners, if you haven't read Courtney Crumran, it is a really fun comic. I guess it's kind of a kid's comic. I guess it technically is. Um, but it's about a, a spooky girl that deals with, like, spooky things. It is also very Halloween-y. It is, yes. Um, okay, so we alluded to it before, but Costume Quest. Costume Quest yeah. is a lovely video game. It's by Double Fine, who did Psychonauts and Brutal Legend and stuff like that. And... It's about these siblings on Halloween, Ren and Reynold, and they find out that these goblins, okay, grubbins, are, um, you know, extracting candy from the neighborhood for reasons unknown, and since whichever sibling you choose to not play as is dressed as a big piece of candy corn and takes a lot of shit for it, um, they get kidnapped as well. And so the conceit of the game is that, you know, you have these homemade kids' costumes. Like, if you're a robot, it's a couple cardboard boxes painted blue and wheelie shoes and, like, dryer tubes around your arms and legs. And whenever you get in battle with one of the grubbins or one of the other monsters, then all of a sudden you turn into the thing you're dressed as. So you go from being, like, a little kid in cardboard boxes to an actual giant robot firing rockets. And it just captures the feel of, oh, we are children on this special night. and we're experiencing something that the adults can't really understand and we have enough independence to deal with it, but also everything still feels kind of safe. It is the most Halloween-y piece of media that I have probably ever encountered. It's really, really delightful. Yeah. Um, last year, so uh, my fiance Anna is not much of a gamer, but she games some. And uh, last year she played through Costume Quest. This year we're, she's going to be playing through Costume Quest 2, closer to Halloween. I'm very excited. Good times. Yeah. So, okay, I don't know. I mean, I guess we could go in any direction with this. What about just other fall traditions? Like, we focused a lot on on Halloween, but is there other stuff that just feels like this is how you interact with the autumn? Well, usually New York Comic Con, but obviously <laughs> that's not happening this year. Again, my birthday's in the middle of October, so that's sort of a, a marker for that. I... I was on an academic calendar for so long that that there's still sort of that that starting school feel and transition even when I'm not actually doing it. I'm trying to think of other stuff. I mean, there's there's so apple cider donuts are a thing that I discovered maybe oh gosh, how long ago? Probably at least 10 years ago. But Okay, wait, <laughs> you fact, you got to tell me about this because I've always wondered what the deal with those is. So are there they're donuts that are made with apple cider? Yeah. That do those taste as amazing as they sound? Yes. Oh God, I want those right now. Yeah. A lot of the traditional food stuff isn't really stuff that we do now because tea is allergic to squash. Oh. So there's that. But yeah, I I uh oh, I love, love pretty much every traditional autumn food. There's so much good stuff, yeah. I mean you see, for me, part of that is weird stuff because of this uh, over the garden wall party that we hosted where um one of the things animated were potato and molasses like buns because that's the thing from over the garden wall so now i associate yeah. that with with halloween they taste really good though and now i've got the potatoes and molasses song stuck in my head for the rest of my life it's very catchy um so there's this uh, this farmer's i guess it's like a, just a farm in general but it's on savvy island near portland and every year they have a corn maze <laughs> and usually by the time i get around to going there it's been raining enough that it's more of a mud maze um, but it's delightful and 
yeah, hot apple cider after that and or hot cocoa or possibly just ordering too much and having a, a sugar crash afterward is so goddamn autumnal. Yeah. Autumn, autumn drinks, you know, having, having, cause I, I, I am a, I am a tea drinker and coffee drinker year round, but it feels so much more justified when it starts to get cold out. Exactly. Yeah. Like the colds, the increasing cold, that's an excuse to just dive headfirst into cozy, which I think honestly is a really good way of keeping, uh, of coping with the fact that your summer's over, you're going to be inside a lot more. You have fewer options in that regard. So you might as well go hard into like plaid flannel and hot drinks and stuff. I also do a lot of knitting in fall. I knit year-round, but in fall it tends to be more directed because I try to knit something for each immediate family member um, for the holidays. They each get one sock. If they want to have a pair, then they have to share and trade back and forth. Or just wait two years. As the case may be, yeah. Um, so we've talked a bit about Halloween. We've talked a little bit about media. Where, where do you want to go from here next? Into the unknown. And see, now we're back to over the garden wall. Exactly. <laughs> well, we haven't. We 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 segued off from movies into costumes, so we could go back to that. Oh, uh, sure, that totally works for me. Yeah, like I said, I don't have a lot of autumnal movies, generally speaking, but it's certainly a good season to watch a bunch of movies. It's a good season to just you know curl up on the couch and enjoy media that feels warm or that feels spooky but you're safe because you're on a couch under plaid flannel blankets with hot drinks so even if it's not your tradition i do kind of want to talk horror movies just because that's such a seasonal thing and something that i'm seeing so many so many people going to i mentioned ginger snaps um another one of i know both of our favorites is the devil's backbone oh that is so good yeah um that was guillermo del toro before he got quite as big for me it's a good companion piece to pan's labyrinth I mean, they're both about the Spanish Civil War. They're both sort of horror from the perspective of children. They're both, would you call them magical realism? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe. Yeah. And like, you know, Pan's Labyrinth is more of like fairy horror, I guess, in, you know, in the midst of the actual horror of the Spanish Civil War, whereas The Devil's Backbone is more of a ghost story. And I do like ghost stories. I'm I'm not a believer. I'm, I'm very much a skeptic, but ghosts fascinate me like the the role-playing game that i run or that i used to run when people could be around each other uh is based on ghosts ghost movies are really good and yeah the devil's backbone is maybe the best one i think in part because it remembers that ghost stories should be scary sure but they should be as sad as they are scary yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think that's something that's that's common to a lot of guillermo del toro ghost stories i will it it is a divisive movie but i will give major props to crimson peak because it is a movie that is all about hashtag aesthetic, and boy, does it deliver. I have not actually seen that. Do you think I would like it? I do. I, I think it, you would, you would, you would, it would take you a minute to adjust your paradigm to what it is, because it's a movie that is not good by a lot of the specific things that we think of as objective movie standards, but is incredibly good at being what it's trying to be. Okay, I can definitely get behind that. I can respect that. And it's it's a lot of fun. Nice. It's it's very much gothic horror. Okay, sweet. Um, in terms of horror movies, one of my favorites that I know you you enjoy as well. I guess it's more of a Christmas movie in terms of when it takes place. But um, Jacob's Ladder is maybe my favorite horror movie, if you can call it a horror movie. Jacob's Ladder is good. I'm I'm thinking too, you know, broadening 
my definition of horror to involve a lot of things that involve horror tropes but aren't necessarily scary in the ways that we expect horror to be um and thinking about what we do in the shadows but also man fall is vincent price season yeah, I will agree with that. And that is an area where you have much more experience than I do. Because I know you and our, our former housemate used to watch all those old, like, Vincent Price. Uh, was it William Castle who directed them? Well, that's only two of them. That's that's just The Tingler and House on Haunted Hill, which are both great, which are both well worth watching. Or, but then there are the, the Poe adaptations. There are the Poe adaptations. There were, uh, he was, he was, he's been in a ton of horror movies. There's stuff like, like, um, oh, I'm blanking the name of it. The Abominable Dr. Fibes. There, there, there's there's a there's there's a mess of Vincent Price horror. There's also a terrific terrific episode of the Muppet Show. Mu- the Muppet Show. There's also a terrific episode of the Muppet Show that he's on that riffs on a lot of that and and is is well worth watching if you can track it down. Oh, that's the one where Kermit turns into a vampire and bites somebody's throat. Yes, Vincent Price's throat. Oh, is that it? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I love Vincent Price. So I, I think back to the Adams family and that wonderful romantic line between Gomez and Morticia, where you know, with with you, my dear, it's always Halloween. With Vincent Price, it's always Halloween. Like he was living that life. He was living that aesthetic. He was embodying it. Like I know he was also a cook. He wrote a cookbook. I'm pretty sure that guacamole is spooky guacamole. Ah, uh, he is. He is also one of one of a, a a long and wonderful tradition of spooky bisexuals. Spooky bisexuals. I can get yeah. behind that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. You know, he's he's wonderful. I I remember when he came out, and I was like, "This is wonderful." And I realized that like about half of the bi men I knew fall, fell into a ver- the very specific specific category of like charmingly spooky. You know, I can think of a few just off the top of my head as well. Yeah, what's right? what's up with that? That's awesome. Um, awesomeness attracts awesomeness. I, I guess so. Yeah. Vincent Price is an icon to all of us. Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, that that level of, I don't know, I guess it's just something Vincent Price specialized in was making the implausible sound, if not plausible, at least like something that you wanted to accept because it was fun. And that's kind of, that's kind of Halloween. That's kind of that level of spoopiness. You're like, you know what, this is ridiculous, and I'm just going to go with it because it's great. Yeah, it's leaning into the idea of, of horror it's it's claiming it it's it's making it making it yours and making it something that you can not only claim but have fun with exactly and i think that's so much of of why especially for kids halloween works like why costume quest works it's it's spooky stuff that would normally be unpleasant were it real and in your face but because it's not then there's this there's this thrill to it this safe thrill um robots are awesome Robots are awesome. That's true. Are you talking about? Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure like where you're you're getting with the spookiness with costume quests. I mean, okay, less the robots and more the the grubbins and stuff. Kind of love the grubbins too. They're pretty great. Yeah. The expansion for the first costume quest is uh, winter themed. It's called Grubbins on Ice, which is great as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Man. So I don't know. This fall. It was so hard to lean into summer, and I'm I'm really hoping we can all lean into this fall. And I should say I recognize that if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, then it's actually spring, and um, do that too. But but this episode's about fall stuff, so you'll have to wait half a year, I guess, for it to be relevant. We, like the X-Men at most times, are located in the Northern Hemisphere, and thus that is the calendar on which we function. It is, yeah. And so, I don't know, now I'm just trying to think. I know we, we generally don't talk about X-Men during Hawk Talk, but do you have favorite spooky X-Men stuff? Oh gosh. 
there isn't a ton of spooky X-Men stuff. The de- Oh, the Demon Bear Saga. The Demon Bear Saga also feels really fundamentally autumnal to me. You know, it does. Yeah, I don't actually remember what season it takes place in. Although, based on that awesome red and white check blanket that Mirage is huddled under, it's got to be at least a little bit chilly, otherwise it would be too warm. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good one for that. I mean, there's the alien knockoff from I want to say Uncanny 143, maybe uh, the one where Kitty's being chased by the um, by the demon through the expansion, and she ends up frying it with the Blackbird. But a that's totally an alien knockoff, and b it's very much a Christmas story. So I, I don't think that counts. Well, for Halloween, we can go to the the universal monsters world that we just get a brief window into in the cross time caper oh yeah that one was great where like everybody's transformed into various uh movie monsters was it megan who was the bride of frankenstein yes and captain britain was a duck captain britain was a duck i dressed up as the groom of frankenstein once i got my hair so goddamn big we had to create this cardboard set of buttresses under it yeah that's pretty much what you have to do for that hairstyle there's 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 actually specifically an X-Men story, and I, I haven't stuck in my head that it's from the from the X-Men Unlimited series that ran briefly in the aughts, but where they go trick-or-treating. Oh, that's awesome. Wait, like the X-Men themselves go trick-or-treating? No, the kids go trick- the kids at the school go trick-or-treating. Oh, okay. Um well there was always that Halloween masquerade backup story in classic X-Men. Do you remember that one? I think there was like a, a murder and, and none of the X-Men knew who the others were. Are you sure you're not thinking of Jubilee's costume party? Oh, there's the also Tattoo that. Tales picture book special. Yes, there's also that where um, where Gambit uh, is a clown and has a bicycle horn. And boy, that was that was a thing. I love that weird ass kids book. That was that was quite a story. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you know, Days of Future Past is a ghost story, basically. I've never thought of it that way, but. Yeah, it totally is. Okay, now yeah. I'm just thinking of all the ways that time travel stories and ghost stories actually kind of scratch the same itch. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, because I, so one of one of my long, one of the drums that I will beat forever is that while there are outliers, time travel stories as a group are fundamentally sad. And they're fundamentally about loss. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, because, so... I've been I've been watching Fringe and there's a Fringe episode that I I don't know for sure that this is the case but there is so much evidence that I would be stunned if it were not appears to be a straight up homage to the Ludo concept album Broken Bride. That is a very specific reference if that's the case. Yes, and it came out enough after it that it it might reasonably be and there are a lot of specifics in the episode that could absolutely reasonably be references even down to the fact that the event that precipitates it and i'm, I'm not going to go into details if you know the album you know what i'm talking about um takes place on a morning in may and and it's it's basically the same story with without the extreme past and future stuff so i've been i've been thinking about that a lot and thinking about time travel stories in general and thinking about that very specific time travel trope and ways ways that that fit those things fit together i mean that's that's one of the things i really love about autumnal themes too is that a lot of them are about loss but they're about loss in a very soft way that's a good way of putting it yeah i think that's that sort of fits the way that i think autumnal horror does is you're dealing with challenging or unpleasant aspects of life but in a way that's more palatable and in a way that i think is good practice for dealing with it in real life you know 
Yeah, it's about it's 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 the horror that 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 goes with stuff like the inexorable passage of time, and you know the change of seasons that involve some degree of 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 death as an essential characteristic, and you know the the, the gradual loss of light, things like that. Yeah. Although, oh man, won't be gradual uh, up here. One thing I'm still not used to about living so much farther north than Florida is that when that time change hits, it hits hard. It's going to be getting dark at like freaking 4.30 p.m. before too long. Yeah. So actually, I'm going to pull in a new piece of media and say that the, the song that's been running through my head since the leaves started changing, as it tends to this time of year, is, is End of the Summer by Dar Williams. I had that on my list as well. Yeah. When you send your children to the moon. It's... Um, right. It's such a except I've been saying when you send your chickens to the moon because I've been singing it to the chickens and I change lyrics to be about chickens when I do that. I'm, I'm sure they appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just it, it, I don't I can't think of a song that just captures that sense of bittersweet, gentle mourning so well. Yeah, but also it's eerie. It is, yeah. Um, man, Dar Williams, I. I feel like she doesn't get enough credit. She she has she's such a good songwriter and such also a good singer. Yes, absolutely. I I will I will bang that drum for all time, or at least gently strum that guitar that I don't really know how to play. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Yeah, yeah. No, she's she's phenomenal, and she tends to get overlooked. And she's she's also a phenomenal protest songwriter. Like she has been doing good political folk rock in eras when there was very very little of it, and is continuing to that's just important yeah and also she has you know songs about things like the milgram obedience study which is pretty great mm -hmm. i mean not the study the song the study's pretty disturbing the study was very unethical although like so many important studies in psychology yeah we got a lot of our best data from studies that probably should not have actually been done yeah no apparently ruining people's lives really really provides a lot of useful insight into the human condition. It's true. The Zimbardo's prison study. There, oh man, so many. Um, so the interesting thing about the prison study is that it's not replicable. Because people now know about it or? No, because for the first one, they deliberately got people for the guard roles who were interested in playing the guard roles. And Every other time that they've tried to do it, when they've done it with double blind, when they've assigned people at random, for instance, there's a lot. There ends up being organized resistance. Interesting. So I actually, I actually wasn't aware of that. It shows how long I've been. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't have that that info on hand. But it's really, really interesting, and it makes the first one much. It, it's useful as a study on prison conditions, but it's much, much more useful as a study on power dynamics in situations where people are sp specifically solicited for positions with punitive power over other people. Which is certainly relevant to a lot of actual things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, a lo there's a lot that's interesting about that and fucked up about that. Yeah, man, seriously. Uh, I miss psychology. If only I were not uh, extremely busy and stressed and lazy, perhaps I would read up more. Mm. So... There's fall. Um, I feel like we covered a lot of the major stuff, um, some of our favorite media, some Halloween stuff, some general seasonal uh, aesthetics and ritual. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Jay? I feel like we should mention election season, but on the other hand, I also kind of want to stick with the comforting stuff for this episode. Let's stick with You all know what's going on. Um, I will add, if you're not registered, register to vote. Find out what the deadlines are in your state. Find out your early voting options. 
Um, it's really important. It's really life and death <laughs> right now. It is. Yeah. Let's let's keep this season um, more spooky, less scary, and uh, voting is a great way to do that. Yeah. Let's let's keep the scary stuff the things that we can celebrate and reclaim exactly so yeah uh happy fall everybody um or spring if you're in the southern hemisphere and um the world's a weird place right now but we hope you're you're hanging in there and doing okay and um yeah let's take care of each other and have warm drinks under under plaid flannel that's my advice anyway Thank you for listening. This is technically officially an episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, a weekly podcast all about the ins, outs, retcons, clones, and time travel of comics' favorite greatest superhero soap opera. Um, However, this is Hawk Talk. Once every four weeks, we just sort of go off subject and don't prepare. If you want to listen to more of our show, you can do that at explainthexmen.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever your friendly local podcast is and we will be back next week with actual x-men we will indeed take care all much love